Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. I believe I believe with a good doctor that verse by verse is the best um, best way to teach in church. However. Uh, the method of verse by verse is not the Holy Spirit. And that means we also need to be led to go where God leads us to go. Um, And so this is a delightful interruption that I believe the Lord is bringing us into. And he's doing that more and more. And I'm I'm here for it, whatever whatever that means. So uh, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 12. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, and this is Jesus, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, earlier in Matthew 4, Jesus was just in the Judean wilderness in southern Israel, only a few miles away from Jerusalem. And then John gets arrested, and Jesus heads north to the other side of Israel, to the region of Galilee, point being One would expect Jesus to begin his ministry at the temple, wouldn't you? But Jesus does the exact opposite. (laughs) Jesus leaves the territory of Judah, of the temple of Jerusalem, to start his ministry. Another way to phrase this is God would be unwelcome at the temple of God. So God is leaving. Verse 12 is, is quite a sad verse. Uh, It's telling us of the sad state of Jerusalem, that God is unwelcome there. It's Isaiah 8, the house of Jacob has grown to hate the king and his God. Uh, Verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled And the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan of Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew says Jesus moving to this region, moving his mission to Galilee, is fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. And specifically, Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read this for you. Isaiah 9.1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. This northern territory of Galilee, Zebulun, Naphtali has been a very dark place for a very long time by the time Jesus came. According to the book of Kings, it had a wicked king. Have you ever read First and Second Kings? The, ter- the northern kingdoms, it was bad king after bad king after bad king. As a border town in northern Israel, historically it was constantly under the threat of invasion and slavery. These are the first people cap- taken captive uh, to the Babylonian exile. Pilate, according to Luke 13, killed a bunch of innocent Galileans and mixed their blood with the sacrifices. 
And now it was under Roman rule, and it may be mostly physically safe, but now it's filled with pagans and foreigners who worship foreign gods. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, that's a big no-no. And here it is in Galilee, in the surrounding mountains and cities. Typically in, in Naphtali, it had an immense spiritual darkness and idol worship in this region. It was in the region of Naphtali, specifically in Mount Carmon, where the book of First Enoch talks about the fall of the watchers, which is where man learned how to sin. Uh, it was at the region of Naphtali, specifically Caesarea Philippi, just 18 miles north of Galilee, where Jesus said to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against you, against his church. They were standing at the very place called the gate to Hades. It was a place of grotesque sexual practices and ancient human sacrifices. According to Josephus during this time, uh, the pagan uh, Greek city Hippos, uh, it was built like a giant fortress and, and when we went to Israel we stayed just a mile away from there uh, and when we drove by it was just a pile of rocks we got to drive by uh, and it overlooked the Sea of Galilee and was known as the sworn enemy of the Jewish city Tiberias across the lake. In 2015 archaeologists unearthed the mask to Pan from the site of Hippos meaning that little kids would wear pictures of Pan on their face and Priests would wear these masks as they procreated with animals in this city. It was in and about this region in southeast Galilee that Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was so bad there, what good could come out of this region? So here's the point. As a Jewish boy, as a Jewish girl in the first century... This was a really hard place to stay faithful. You know, it's really easy to pick on the Pharisees, <laughs> rightfully so. But there's an element that the reason the Pharisees started was a good reason. They were using their young people to the Greeks and Romans who were falling into idolatry and sin and horrible pagan worship. So they ended up creating all of these laws and then hedge laws and hedge laws, hedge laws. And it went too far, but it was to preserve God's people because there was such temptation to fall into this paganism. As a Jewish person, this was a very hard place to stay faithful to Torah and not to pursue paganism. This is exactly what the context of Luke 15 was about. Remember the young man? He sold a third of his father's possessions. He, he wanted his inheritance. He left and went to the far country. We don't know what the far country is, but we're given a clue because he's, he's desiring to eat the pods that the pigs ate. Jewish people didn't raise pigs, but Gentiles did. He went and left to live in a Gentile city. To live a Gentile life. And so point being, it was a very common story to these mothers and fathers in this area. It was hard to be godly in northern Israel, in, in Galilee. There was Roman money to be made. There were workers' guilds which provided real opportunity. There were foreign women that Israel's sons were swayed by. And foreign temples, the ten decapolises, the Hellenistic cities, began at Hippos in southern Galilee. The, po the point is, Galilee has been a place of oppression and war and spiritual darkness for a long, long time. 
But Matthew chapter 4, Jesus just spanks Satan in the wilderness. He kicks his butt and he says no to every temptation. And now here he comes. The light is coming to the darkest place imaginable. Jesus' arrival is in fulfillment of Isaiah 9-2. The people who have dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. With the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God, the, God, the, the light has dawned. And of all places in Galilee, and according to Nathaniel, that's the last place you'd expect the light to begin. The place of great darkness to the Jewish people has now been given a great life. Jesus, the light of the world, has come and to the most unexpected place of all. And Matthew is telling us something here. When, when, when Jesus, J- Jesus has left Jerusalem to bring the light of the world into the place of deep darkness. And loved ones, isn't this so like our God? <laughs> how, how many of you, when God finally got you, you were in your darkest place? <laughs> this is what our God does. He delights to move mightily in unexpected places. It's when we're battling with something or at the end of our rope or we've hit rock bottom that he says, ah, the light's coming. <laughs> when God wanted to make and when God wanted to make a covenant with man to father the nations, who did he choose? A 90-year-old man named Abraham. The most unexpected place you'd begin to pick a father of the nations, a 90-year-old. When a giant needed to be killed, who did he call? Do you remember what they said about Saul? He was the tallest man in Israel. He was a head taller than everyone else. You would think that Israel would choose their good giant to face the Philistine giant. What's the Israelite giant doing? Hiding in his tent. So who does God call to kill the giant? A little shepherd boy. Named David. Who would have thought? But God delights to move in the unexpected. And when God chose a couple to raise Jesus, who did he choose? A young, poor little couple from Nazareth. In the middle of nowhere. And when God was born of a virgin, where was he placed? In a lowly manger. And when the announcement was made, who did the heavenly choir appear to? Shepherds in the field. Shepherds were so despised in the culture, their, their, um, their statement wasn't usable in court. They were that untrustworthy. <laughs> and when God wanted to raise up new scholars to reshape the world, who did he call? Fishermen. Simon and Andrew and James and John. And when Jesus wanted to set up home base on earth, where did he choose? He chose Galilee. You see, it's God's delight to move in the unexpected. And the reason God does this partly is because it is in man's frailty. It is in man's weakness. It is in our inability that God gets his due glory. When he does the unexpected and the spectacular in the unspectacular. (laughs) And we can miss this as God's people because in our flesh... We can join in with the crowd and sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And this is wrong. It it was not David who killed that giant. It is not you who have put your life together. 
It is not you that have a successful marriage or have raised wonderful children. The victory belongs to the Lord. (laughs) Thank God God moves in dark places because he's moved in your life. (laughs) And to think otherwise is to not realize the spiritual darkness you were in until he saved you. And now Jesus is going to walk along the beach and he's going to see four fishermen. (laughs) And he's going to pick them out to rock the world. He picks them like four pillars to his ministry. And, and, and we don't want to miss the themes that are woven throughout the Bible in Matthew and in chapter 4. And it is 2 Timothy 2.13 that God is faithful when we are faithless. That God is able when we are weak. And God isn't choosing these men because they are spiritual black belts. It's because of what God can do. It's about the light he shines in the darkness. Now let's read it. Verse 17. This gets so good. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I can't wait to get into this to it another time. Anyways, verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. That's today's text. A few, few thoughts here. Jesus was not walking along the shore of Capernaum, saw Andrew and Peter, and then next James and John, and chose them because they were apostle material. (laughs) If you've ever spent enough time in the Catholic Church and you look at all those murals of the saints, doesn't that feel like they are so other then? Like... John has a halo. He's getting stabbed and praise God. It's like, they scream like everyone else. Jesus chose them because they could be made into apostles. Jesus chose them because of what he could do with them. There's an old saying and it's so true. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Jesus is calling fishermen to become preachers and theologians. This is is meant to be humorous. Because where did Jesus just come from? The area of the temple. If Jesus is looking for quality, top-level thinkers, he would have started with the young men at the universities. He wouldn't have started in the shipyard. (laughs) Here's why this story is so powerful and and why I wanted to share it today. There is one hero in the Bible and it is God. And God, like he has time and time again through all of human history, he doesn't look down upon all of mankind and stop at some people's houses and stop at your house and go, wow, they are just like me. Jesus isn't walking along the beach going, useless, useless, useless. Spiritual giants here. Well, of course not. 
Oh. Now it is true. Like in the story of Noah and Jonah and Zechariah and Elizabeth, that God sees righteous people. And he says, oh, look at my servant Job. Where God introduces us to Zechariah and Elizabeth and say they are, they are perfect. They are without fault. Same thing with Jacob. My, he was a Tam son, a perfect son. But these people are righteous and are living righteously because God's grace was already in their life. This is what the story of Job is about. Remember when, when Satan was walking to and from the earth and, and, and then God says, have you seen my servant Job? He's blameless. And he says, if you rem- why wouldn't Job be righteous? You have put a hedge around his house. Satan recognized that Job was in the favor of the Lord because God had already given him favor. He says, if you remove it, watch what happens. And then, of course, Job starts to falter at the end of the book. And God shows up in the whirlwind and terrifies him. It's awesome. (laughs) But apart from God's grace, there isn't one person in all of human history who is not a dirty, rotten sinner. (laughs) But this is not bad news because where does Jesus like to bring the sunshine? Into dark places. God loves to save sinners. It's what he does. It's what he likes to do. And when God looks down upon the earth and he sees us in our fallen state and he sees men and women, he desires to pour his love and his mercy and his grace about them. When the the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were still rotting in Adam and Eve's stomach, it was then instead of killing them, thanatos, destroying them eternally, he says, I will send my son. The seed of the woman will bear a child. Or should this woman will bear a child and he will crush the head of the serpent. While they were still digesting their sin, God was ready and eager to save them. He calls men and women from out of the world, just like these four fishermen today, and he makes them his children. And not only to save their souls, but to even use them to partake in the saving of others. Isn't the, does that flabbergast anyone else? God saves you and then uses you to help save others? Are you kidding me? I remember, I remember one time I was visiting someone in the hospital. They were 80 plus years old. They were an atheist. I got the call, Josh, we need you to come to the hospital. And I, I prayed with this man. He accepted the Lord an hour before his death. I was a young man, and I left, and I couldn't believe it. (laughs) If I could moonwalk, I would have, you know? Right to the bacon store, you know, something. But it's like, God, who am I that you would use me like this? You know, and this is what God does with us. He doesn't just save us, he employs us. As Jude would say, to drag others from the fires of hell. That is your job. So let me say this to you as plain as I can. God wants and can use you. God wants and can use you. Do not rob yourself the glory, the glorious encouragement that God chooses people just like you. God calls sinners just like you. (laughs) And that God saves people just like you. 
That this, if you read the Bible, God changes the world with ordinary fallen people, just like you. Again, God, God is not waiting to save and use spiritual superstars. And why is that? Because there are none. Read Romans. No one searches after God. No, not one. All our, deed, all our best deeds are as what? Filthy rags. It's all God's grace. God doesn't save righteous people because apart from his grace, there are no righteous people. Think of the biblical examples here. When Jesus is now starting his ministry in Matthew 4, he's starting to call his apostles. And, you know, we can start thinking about these guys as others. But when we read their story as a whole, when Jesus was praying in the garden with his 11 apostles, what did he say? Please stay with me up, stay up with me tonight and pray. What did they do? They fell asleep. And what did Jesus do? Woke them up. And what did they do again? Fell back asleep. And what did they do again? Woke them up. And then what happened again? They started to fall back asleep. And he says, get up, my, my accusers at hand, my, the one who's coming to give me. And when Jesus was arrested in the garden, what did they all do? They ran. <laughs> And when Peter was, was asked if he knew Jesus after the arrest, what did Peter do? Deny Jesus three times. What a wonderful word for someone who falls into sin and then feel God can't forgive them. How many times in Passion Week did God's people fail? And then we come to that scene where Jesus is on the beach with Peter at a little fish barbecue and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you? Three times he forgave him. And he said, follow me. If God asks us to forgive 70 times 7, how much more do you think he forgives? <laughs> we have this really awful habit of putting ourselves outside of God's grace, don't we? But when you read the Bible, that is not accurate. You're making an idol out of yourself. <laughs> And when Jesus was at the cross, how many of the apostles came? One. John. Do you see? Uh, 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 <sighs> the, the four Gospels are written in such a way by these men and their testimonies that assure us that they were not anything special in and of themselves. What made them special was that God called them. And so again, I, I, I say... God can use you, and God wants to use you. One commentator said, just as a jeweler, if he sees precious uncut gems, chooses them not on what they are, but what they can become. Every single one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Jesus is calling you today through the proclamation of the word to both follow and serve him. That's what this is. And so what I would like to say to you is, if you would leave your nets on the shore and hearken the call just like these four fishermen, just like that diamond, I promise you, God will bring fruits out of you that you did not think were possible. There is no way I should be here doing this. If you knew me, my, me and my mom laugh about it all the time. The fact that I can put together a study is a miracle. <laughs> what God has done with me. 
God will bring, we laugh about it weekly. No one's more amazed at God's grace in my life than my mama, I can tell you. She homeschooled me, she knows. Uh, God will bring fruits out of you that you did not think were possible. And he will break sins in you that maybe have been in your family for generations. He will break sins in you that you did not think were possible. And he will use you to reach people you didn't think you were capable of. And this is what God does with those to whom he calls. This is what Galatians 5 is about. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, he changes you. A good tree does what? Makes good fruit. It's just what it does. This is, and the tree's not trying to go make apples, make apples. It just does. And this is what Romans 12 is about. When you submit to Christ, you are transformed. That the more you give yourself to Christ, the more the transformation is. It just happens. In Acts, in the book of Acts, they realized that they perceived that they were uneducated men, but realized they had been with Christ, it says. That's what the opposers of the gospel saw. These men had spent enough time with Jesus, they started to talk like him, and it freaked them out. <laughs> they were changed. It's just what happens when you spend time with Christ. When Moses got into the presence of God, what happened to his face? It began to shine. It's just what happens. I hate shout, telling stories about myself. I don't know if anyone's noticed this. I don't share a lot of personal stories. I, I don't like personal stories because Sundays are not about me. I, I, when, I, when I listen to pastors and every story's about them as a hero, I want to throw up because I just don't like that kind of a thing. Because we're all, we all have faults and I have my moments like anyone else. However, the Lord kind of dealt with me this week to share a personal story. And I, I, I'm a little hesitant, but... I need to obey, so okay. <laughs> two years ago, two years and two months ago, my lower disc in my lower back ruptured. It exploded, exploded. And I was in so much pain. But I remember at some point, I broke down crying. Because I realized I wasn't going to be able to pray on my knees for a long time. And that really upset me. And then I had my surgery. And about a year after my surgery, I finally felt well enough to try. <laughs> like I could maybe get enough strength to push myself up off of the edge of my bed. And, then I, and I remember the first time I got down on my knees to pray. I made it about 30 seconds. <laughs> And then I got up, I got up, and my back hurt for two days. And after two days, I got down again. And I did that for six months until I could get through my prayers. And it hurt a lot. And finally, I could be praying for quite a while. And I remember at some point, my, my wife asked me, because she saw how hard it was for me to do this, and she was like, why? <laughs> why do you pray on your knees uh, every night? Especially because she saw what it took for me to do that. And I told her, it's a daily reminder that I am not the king, 
but that I have one. Every day I need to be humbled and recognize that I have a king. And the reason I share this story, because as humans, one of the main ways we come to understanding things is through experience. You notice when you're a kid, you don't understand something until you're either spanked or it hurt you. (laughs) Like maybe you don't backflip off of the bed because you might hit your head on the wall. And then finally, after the 10th time, it happens and then you learn. Well, we are experiential creatures. And speaking from my personal experience, knowing who I am, my desire to pray like this and what it took for me To get there, I would have never come to that in and of myself. That is not me. (laughs) But this is what God does with us. He calls every single one of us to, to follow him. And if we would drop our nets and drop our pride and drop our sins and drop our bad habits and drop our egos or drop whatever, and we would follow him and choose the narrow way, he is 1 John 1, 9, faithful and just to forgive our failures when they come. And he is faithful, Ephesians 2, 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ as we follow and obey. He transforms us in ways we did not think were possible. I want to read you something out of Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to the praise of his glory. And notice that. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings did you get by yourself? (laughs) He blessed us with every spiritual blessing because God shines in darkness. He is the God of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is the good giver. And then it says, verse 4, Even as he chooses us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And here Paul says, God chose you before the world was even made. Paul says elsewhere in the scripture that God loved us while we were yet sinners. Again, don't we put ourselves outside of God's grace? God chose you knowing how bad you were going to mess up. (laughs) None of this is a surprise to him. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul is saying, you are not found worthy of salvation. You are not worthy to follow Christ or to be adopted by God, but it is a gift. It was a gift of grace that God blessed us with. Do you know what the definition of grace is? It means an unmerited gift. We have been called as a gift and you did not earn it. (laughs) And you do not keep it because you have earned to keep it. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. 
The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Are you catching a theme here? Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in himself, things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, praise God, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now there are lots of places I could take this. But what I want to talk, talk to you about as we close is the feeling of unworthiness of being saved and used. If you're the type of person who feels unworthy to be saved and unworthy to be used by God, then let me tell you this. Congratulations. You understand the gospel. <laughs> That's what this is. You don't deserve it. You feel, why would God use me? You get it. None of us are qualified to be saved. None of us are qualified to be called or be used by God. It's all his grace. It's all a gift. And it's a gift not predicated upon anything that you can bring to the table. The light of the gospel, the truth has shined into the darkness of every believer's heart. And God has done so for one reason. Because God has done so according to the counsel of his own will. To his own delight. His own pleasure. Do you know why God saved you? Because it delighted God to save you. And do you know why you're going to be in heaven? Because it delights God that you're going to be in heaven. And do you know why God's going to reach your kids? Because it delights God to reach your kids. He does so according to the counsel of his own will. There's an old philosophical question. Has anyone ever heard this? If a tree falls in a forest with no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Can I give you the biblical answer to that? Of course it does, because God hears it. And God saves because God delights to save. And he calls because he delights to call and uses because he delights in using us. And God chose these four fishermen because God chose these four fishermen because he delighted to choose these four fishermen. It was all of his grace. God did it because God decided it in the counsel of his own will. Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes Christians can resolve to themselves as too unworthy to be saved and used. And again, I say this is sinful and something we need to repent of. To believe that you're beyond the grace of God, again, is to make an idol of yourself. Is to make your sins and regrets and limitations greater than God's ability. <laughs> greater than his grace. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Not if you also get your act together. <laughs> it is finished. 
the blood of Christ is able to cleanse us from all sins. Do not make an idol out of yourself. If you think you are beyond God's grace and God doesn't love me, and how could he? You have made yourself mightier than the blood of Jesus Christ. This is wrong. You have come to faith through the word of God. Then believe the word of God. Believe what he says to be true. Don't make an idol out of your fear. And so here's the point. God chooses men and women to serve him and to be used by him. Not because some of us are worthy (laughs) and others are not. As Ephesians and Romans just pointed out, it's all grace. The men and women God calls and chooses are not worthy of such an honor because there are no men worthy of such an honor. It's all his free gift. Jesus has lived the sinless life and died the perfect death and rose from the grave. So do you know what you have to do to partake in this? Believe. Say thank you and receive it. If it's a gift, how do you receive a gift? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Do you need to grovel? Oh, please give me the present with my name on it. No. It's yours. Grab it. And say thank you. Do you know the reason you're in church today is grace? God brought you here. It's grace. And you're not in a cool church. This is a Bible church, you know. We're, this isn't a rock band with 16 smoke machines. This is... You came to a church today that's calling you a sinner. That's grace. And we sing of God because of His grace. And we love and obey God because of His grace. It's all a gift. It's all an unmerited gift. You didn't earn any of this. None of us did. None of God doesn't stop over any one of our houses and go, now they're actually saved. No. <laughs> they really get it. No. It's all a gift. I know I'm just hitting the same nail with as many hammers as I can because I have this conversation all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. And the son died for sinners. Are you a sinner? Yeah. Are you going to keep being a sinner? Yeah. You do our best to fight it. We drop our nets and we follow him with every fiber in our being. And if I end up in a prison camp and decapitated on YouTube someday or whatever it looks like, to the glory of God I go. But that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We have to stop putting ourselves outside of the love of God. For neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, or nothing high, nothing too low can separate us from the love of God. What does that old song say? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washes me white as snow. It's all a free gift, so say thank you, receive it, and walk in newness of life because of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
God, we love you. We, we thank you. We praise you. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And we are skittish. <laughs> and sometimes we freak out. And sometimes we run away. Yet you are the good shepherd. And you restore us to the paths of righteousness. You are the good shepherd and you leave the 99. And sling us on your shoulders and carry us home. God, we, we thank you for your investment in our life. We thank you for your love. And God, may, may we cry, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. There are times where we get so fearful and so caught up in who we are and what we bring to the table and how we ruin things, God, that we lose sight of the power of the cross. God, help us to trust fully and even more fully in, 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 your, in your life, your death, your resurrection, and your ascension. God, may every single one of us drop our nets and fall on our knees and call, recognize that you are our king and that you love your people. And since you are the author of our faith, you are also the perfecter and you will bring us home. God, we pray for those who need special prayer today and, and special burdens that they come and see the prayer team off to the side here. God, we ask that if any one of us are, are worry or heavy laden or burdened today, and we've been walking with old wounds and, and we, we just, God, we're sick of them. Let us go to a faithful brother and sister today and pray. God, let us receive your gift of grace. And part of that is the church to use each other. And so God, help us to be your people that look like your people. Let the world look at us and realize that we have been with Christ. We pray all of these things to your glory. In Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.